book of Revelation in chapter 19, the marriage of the Lamb. Wow, what a chapter. The marriage of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, the battle of Armageddon in this chapter. I want Brother Mark to come, and he's going to sound the shofar for me. He's right here. Hallelujah. Thank God. Okay. Because this message this morning is going to be linked with the great trumpet. Takiya Gedalah, Gedalah, the great trumpet called the last trumpet. And he's going to sound it just to give you a little bit of an idea as to what it sounds like. Okay. Y'all pray for him. It's not easy to get. That's good. He got it on the first, first try. It's not easy to sound that so far if you're not used to it all the time. Got it on the first try, and it was long and loud, just like it's going to be. But it's going to be longer and louder when Jesus comes. Thank you, Brother Mark. I appreciate you doing that, brother. Hallelujah. Praise God. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be the great sounding of a trumpet. Revelation 19, verse 1, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. After the destruction of Babylon, post-tribulationally, after the seven years of tribulation, after Babylon is destroyed, the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. The Bible says, so after these things, we hear this great voice and many people in heaven. And they're worshiping. They're saying, Alleluia, which means praise the Lord. And it's a great voice. It's not like most churches. When you go to church, in most churches, it's so liturgical, it's so ceremonial. That there's no lifting of the voices. In fact, if you were to lift the voices in most churches, they would say, shh. But you'll be very uncomfortable in heaven if you don't like shouting and praising. If you don't like shouting, praising, and lifting up the voice, you're not going to like heaven. Because when you get to heaven, it is going to be a loud, loud place. If you do on earth what they do in heaven, you will get on earth what they have in heaven. But if you don't do what they do on earth, or what they do in heaven on earth, you won't get on earth what they have in heaven. If you do on earth what they do in heaven, you'll get on earth what they get in heaven. And it's a loud place in heaven. Hallelujah. They're saying salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore 
which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. We talked about this the last few weeks, Revelation 17 and 18, the harlot. Verse 3, and again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Yes, sir. Praise God. And to her was granted that she should be clothed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's a revelation of Jesus. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that was upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. 
These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the, with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword preceded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your spirit today. The spirit of prophecy is a revelation of Jesus. Mighty God, give us a revelation of yourself. Manifest yourself in and through us. Anoint us to bring this prophetic word today. Lord God, quicken every word, every sentence, every paragraph, everything that should be said today. Quicken in our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'm going to be dealing with some of the feasts of the Lord in connection with the rapture of the church and the feast that follows that. For your information, everything about the feasts of the Lord are not recorded in the Bible. The way they observe the feast, the Jewish feast is called in the Bible at times, but really it's the Lord's feast. Leviticus 23, if you want to read about the feast, Leviticus 23 and on through 24, it gives you seven feasts. They are the feasts of the Lord, okay? But as I said in the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell you everything about the way, the way they celebrated these feasts. You have to go outside of Scripture. But first and foremost, the references that I'm going to use is the Word of God. This is the authority on all things. Word of God. For you, a couple of other things that will help you understand the Jewish feast. This is called the Jewish Festivals. It's by Chaim Schwass. Awesome book. This is called the Song of Moses by J.R. Church. This is called the Jewish Holidays, a guide and a commentary by Michael Strassfeld. If you want to study the Jewish feast, these are just a few that you can get that will help you understand the feast of the Lord. I will make reference from time to time to things that have been written concerning these Jewish feasts and the practices and the way they observe these feasts from these books because they are not recorded in the Scripture. But they do lay out, it is amazing to me, that they do lay out prophetic times. And the whole book of Revelation is laid out after the pattern of the feast. So that if you want to really understand the book of Revelation, then you must understand the feast of the Lord. Hallelujah. And Revelation 19, we're going to talk about that. But anyway, in starting here, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 8, we have the marriage of the Lamb. Go with me to Matthew 24. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17, it talks about the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and on through verse 18. You can read it there. But when does that event happen? Is it pre-tribulational? Or is it post-tribulational? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us it happens at the last trumpet. 
Matthew 24, if you'll go there with me, please. Verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For whithersoever the carcass is, will the eagles be gathered together. That's Revelation 19. Okay? Matthew 24, Revelation 19, in this particular passage, go together. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Say after. after. So it's after that seven-year tribulation period. Shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. The great trumpet. Tekiah Gedalah. The great trumpet. You understand what I'm saying? Gedalah, great. Tekiah, trumpet. The great trumpet. Or the Bible calls it the last trumpet. 1 Corinthians 15. It's the long sound of a trumpet, okay? It's lengthy, it's long sounding, and it's very loud, all right? You need to hear that. And so the Bible says he gathers his elect at the sounding of the great trumpet. Is that correct? Verse 29 says it's after the tribulation period. Verse 31, he says, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, or the great trumpet, Tekiah, Gedalah. And they shall gather together his elect from four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's when he gathers his elect. That's when he episanagos us, gathers us upward to himself. And notice it says it is after the tribulation. It is not pre-tribulational. That is the majority of you in Christendom today that Jesus raptures the church before the tribulation. But that's not biblical. Okay. Now, in reference to that. Then after the tribulation period, Revelation 19, we see the gathering of his elect. And it's at the sounding of the trumpet that this takes place. And this is the marriage of the Lamb. This is when his marriage is seen consummated. When he goes and gets his wife. And is joined with her, not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical way. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a divine romance. The whole Bible is about a divine romance. And there are a multitude of types in the Bible that preach to us about the marriage of the Lamb. We're not going to be able to talk about all of them. We're going to focus on the feast because the feast portrayed the marriage of the Lamb. That's where our focus will be. But in beginning today, Genesis to Revelation, divine romance. Do y'all believe that today? Hallelujah. In, just to give you a few examples, in Genesis, the Bible says that God created man in his own image. One man, not three men. One man, one God. Jesus is God come in the flesh, one man. Okay? God 
out of a sleeping man, took the rib of that man, and he fashioned out of that rib a woman. And he presented that woman to Adam. And they became one flesh. But before that ever happened, before this union, before, before they became one, Adam was naming the creatures of God. And he noticed something. As the creation of God and the animals of God began to walk before Adam, and Adam named them, Adam noticed that when the rooster walked by, he had his hen. When the buck walked by, he had his doe. Hallelujah, are you with me here? When the lion walked by, he had his lioness. When the stud, the stallion walked by, he had his mare. Are you here today? And they walked by him and he named them and he noticed something that there were two, male and female. And they were in union together. And the question came in his spirit, in his mind, is there another for me? Where is mine? If the rooster has his hen, hallelujah, and the buck has his doe, and the lion has his lioness, and the stallion has its mare, then where's mine? And each one of those creatures, as they walked by Adam, as he named them, number one, every characteristic of every animal that was ever made, every characteristic, number one, was to manifest a particular character about God. There is nothing that God made that did not have a characteristic that first manifest him. Are you with me? So he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So you know what I'm saying? Etc. The characteristics of the lion are seen in him. So everything in creation was created to manifest the Lord and to give him glory and to depict a certain characteristics about God. And then secondarily, it portrayed the characteristics of the creature. And so when Adam saw the male and the female walk by him and he named them, he knew there was something missing for him. That there was another. There has to be another. There has to be somebody for me. There has to be another part. There has to be another side to me. Are you with me right now? And the Bible says that God put him to sleep and took out of his side of bone and made him a woman and brought him Ish. Uh -huh. Isha. Come on, Isha. Woman. And presented Isha to Ish, the man. Because out of Ish, the man came Isha. And when God presented Isha to Ish, I know he said, wow. <laughs> wow. 
Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, wow. Yeah, that's right. And so when that happened, you see Adam and Eve's being joined together is a picture and a type of a divine romance that one day God himself would come in the form of a man. His name would be called Jesus. And Jesus would have a woman. He would have a bride. And this bride would be presented to him after six days. Are you here right now? And just as the woman, Adam and Eve, became one in union, we have in Revelation 19, we have the union two becoming one. We have Jesus and his bride being joined in union. Spirit became in union with flesh. And that's what you have in this particular chapter right here. Do you understand these things? So God has himself a bride. He has himself a woman that he's going to present to himself one day and they're going to be joined together. The book of Ephesians is the book of love and it constantly talks about how much Jesus loved you. Do you believe that today? Talks about the height of his love. It talks about the depth of his love. He loved you so much, he died for you on a cross and then ascended up on high. He loved you so much, he went so deep, he had to go all the way to hell for you. That's how much he loves this bride. He's willing to go to the highest heights and the lowest depths to express that love for his bride. He was lifted up for her. He was crucified for her. He died for her. Lifted up for her. And because he was lifted up for her, he then can lift her up and be with him. Do you understand? There's coming a day when Jesus is going to take us up to the throne. Invite us into his presence in an ultimate sense. In Revelation chapter 4, let's look at this. Verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. So what we have here in the throne room, we have a rainbow around the throne. And we talked about this just to give you another picture here. We talked about uh, Joseph's coat of many colors that was given to him from the father. Do you remember that? And what ultimately happened to that coat was his brothers took that coat, stripped him of that coat of many colors, and they dipped it in the blood of a goat. And then they went back to their daddy Jacob and said, Your son, Joseph, has been killed. And this garment here covered with blood is proof that he was killed. But what they did was they dipped the coat in the blood. Do you understand? Joseph is a type of the representative of the rest of the family. 
And when you see this rainbow around the throat, the throne of God, what you have here is the rainbow coat of Joseph being manifested around the throne. That it is by the blood of a slain goat, lamb, Jesus, that we enter into covenant. And that rainbow represents what? It represents a covenant that God has with man. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Just, just catch the bits and pieces here. I'll put it together at the end. All right? Now, what the Lord is showing us here is this, is that someday his bride is going to be with him. Now, Revelation 3, let's back up and look at it. To the overcomer. Revelation 3. What Are y'all getting this so far? Do you understand so far? Okay. He's going to take us unto himself. We are being invited into the throne room. In the spirit, I can experience it now, but ultimately in the flesh, we will experience it. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. He's going to have a supper. And he with me, to him that overcometh, to the overcomer, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So we're going to sit with him in his throne. Where that rainbow is, that green rainbow is, there's only one throne, and he's inviting you to sit in that throne with him. Which means it's a place of intimacy. Because there's only one throne, which means you've got to sit with him on the throne. It's an intimate place. It's a secret place of the Most High God. Are you with me? There's really not room for two on this throne. There's really room for one. But what happens is he's inviting you into union with him so that you'll become one with him. And it is only the overcomer that enters into this place I'm talking about. This place of intimacy. This place of, of a marriage type relationship with God. Most people want to stand on the outer court. And they just want to court him. You with me? They only want to talk about going to the cross. Thank God for the cross. But there's a room called the holy place. The holy place in the tabernacle. That is the, the power of Pentecost. There's Passover out here in the outer court. The cross. Then there's the room, the holy place. I'm going somewhere with this. There's the holy place. That's the power of Pentecost. And then from there... Behind the heavy veil, there is the throne of God. That is tabernacles. Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. Tabernacles is the most intimate place there is. So, you today, in the spirit, you can have an outer court relationship with him if you want to. Where all Jesus does is just court you. All he does is date you from time to time. Or you can go from there and you can enter into the holy place and get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost and experience your own Pentecost and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And that's pretty much where most of us are in here today. We've been to the cross. We've been in the, in the uh, holy place and be filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And that's where most of us are. But the Lord doesn't want you to stay just in the church realm. He doesn't want you just to stay in Pentecost. He wants to take you beyond the veil. 
The Bible says, and only people who are overcomers get beyond the veil. So that the cross at Passover and the spirit at Pentecost is what enables you to get beyond the veil. But you have to overcome to get beyond the veil. You have to overcome to get this intimate place that I'm talking about. And you can reach, reach that place right now in the spirit. And yes, there's going to be an ultimate physical union between the bride and the church, the overcomers. But right now in the spirits, you can get there. Do you understand? And so he's inviting them to him, verse 21, that overcometh. I'm just trying to tell you, if you've been to the cross, thank God. But if you haven't been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, there's more for you. And if you've been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, then you can go in even further than that. You can go into an intimate place, a throne room experience with God. There's more for everybody in this church. And he's inviting the overcomers to sit with him in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then we get the description of the throne and that rainbow around the throne takes you back to Joseph in his coat of many colors that was dipped in the blood of a slain goat. Do you understand these things so far? Now, in connection to this, marriage, say marriage. The Song of Solomon in the Old Testament is the most intimate book there is in the Old Testament it is the song of songs of Solomon. It is the most holy place song. It's not an outer court song. It's not a holy place song. It is a most holy place song of songs. Say with me the song of songs. It parallels the most holy place. It's where the shepherd Woos, where the king woos the Shulamite to. It's a place he wants to take her. It's a place he wants to get intimate with her. Now, this is Bible. Let's see what it says. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Notice what this Shulamite, she's a type of the church. Notice what she says. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what she says. She says, by night on my bed. I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. At this point, it's her bed. Verse 7 says, behold his bed. Which is Solomon's three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. And so in verse 7, it's his bed. Verse 1, it's my bed. Chapter 1, verse 16, watch this. Uh, let me make sure I got the right verse here. Okay, verse 16, watch this. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant, also our bed. Our bed is what? Green. So that means that 
instead of it being my bed or his bed, now she's got to a place where it's our bed. And the Bible says our bed is green, which means this woman made it to the most holy place. She made it to the throne room where the rainbow around that throne is green. It's an intimate place. And this is the place that God is inviting you to. This is the area he wants you to get to. He don't want to just court you in the outer court. He don't want to just fill you with the Holy Ghost in the second dimension of the holy place. He wants to take you into the green room. Where our bed is green. He wants to make love to you. And I don't have time to preach to you the whole song of Solomon. But all of it is typical of the church. And Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Revelation 19 then, when we see the marriage of the Lamb, it's, the t- it's time when we have the consummation. Hallelujah. She's made it through to the throne room. There's a union that has taken place. She has become one with Him. She's sitting with Him in His throne. Are y'all with me here now? She's in the green room where our bed is green. Amen. I got to go back to Song of Solomon. Let me show you something. Just to give you a little understanding, okay? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So in the spirit, I can get there right now. If I'll overcome. Y'all believe that? Watch what he does in in the Song of Solomon chapter 2. In verse 4 it says, He brought me to the banqueting house. The banqueting house is a place where you feast. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. It is a divine love story from Genesis to Revelation. Stay me with the flagons. Comfort me with the apples, for I am sick of love. Hallelujah. His left hand is under my head. His right hand doth embrace me. Are you with me here? When he takes her into the banqueting house, she gets drunk on wine. She says, my heart is sick of love. I'm ready to have love. I'm ready, ready to get intimate with you. She is drunk on the wine of the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? So, yeah. Man, I wish I had time. Chapter 1, verse 4. He, Draw me. We will run after thee. Chapter 1, verse 4. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. So she says he's brought me into her cha- his chambers. Now what he did was he went in the outer court and he courted her. You, you remember this, right? We've got a series called Kingdom Relationship. We went in depth on this stuff. You remember I just got to tie it in with Revelation 19. He goes in the outer court. He's courting her. He's got a bouquet, a bouquet of a word of knowledge. 
and a box of chocolate covered prophecies and he begins to preach to her with and his whole desire in courting her in the outer court is that he might get her by the hand and say you know what I don't want to just court you I don't want to just date you I don't want to just give you a bouquet of a word of knowledge I don't want to just give you chocolate covered prophecies I want to take you somewhere I want to make you my wife and when I make you my wife then I want to take you into the green room where our bed is green so he gets her over here in the court he takes over into the banqueting house the pentec- hallelujah are you with me here in fact let me just tell you the Jews say that Passover is the courtship of God that Passover is when God began to court Israel in Egypt they literally call it the courtship so Passover the outer court where the cross is seen is the courtship of God he said I died for you and I died for you not just so I could date you not so I could just visit you every once in a while I want to I want to take you because of my work on the cross I want to take you into my chambers so from the outer court he takes her into the the holy place the chamber and she gets drunk on flagons of wine She gets drunk on the Holy Ghost. She falls out into his arms. He drags her into the most holy place and he makes love to her. And when you first come in here, a lot of you are in the outer court and you're just kind of dating Jesus. You know, you're kind of playing around with him. You know, you're kind of just messing with him, you know. He said, I don't want to just date you. I don't want you to just experience Passover. I want to take you into my banqueting house. I want to have a feast with you. And then when you get drunk, when you get real drunk, when you fall out in my arms, then the Bible says, watch what it says. She said, I'm sick of love. Lord, help me. His left hand is under my head. His right hand doth embrace me. So now he's got her in a place of intimacy. He's got her in the throne room, and that is the green room, and that's where it becomes our bed and not my bed and his bed. But now it's a union thing that's going on. I want everything he's got for me in the spirit, see? I'm telling you, I'm preaching to people today. They, they like playing around. They like courting him. They like dating him. They like to get his gifts. But I'm here to tell you right now, I want to get full of the Holy Ghost. I want to get drunk on the Spirit. And fall out in the arms of Jesus. Let Him drag me into the Holy holy of Holies. And I want Him to make love to me. In the Spirit, of course. Does that make sense to you? And so when you have the marriage of the Lamb, that's when you have this union. This ultimate fulfillment of everything the Bible's been talking about from the days of Adam and Eve and in the Song of Solomon, the prophets. It, it was all a divine love story, a divine romance that comes to a consummation in Revelation chapter 19 where spirit is in union with humanity, where spirit is in union with the flesh. And when I read this chapter and in connection with the rest of the Bible, all I can do is say, wow, it's awesome. There's nothing like it. And so, you know, the church I was raised in, fundamentalism for the most part, they taught me about the cross. Thank God for that. 
But they never told me I had, there could be more for me. They never told me that there was something beyond the outer court. That there was a place that I could get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And thank God, when I came into Pentecost, they showed me how to get filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, and showed me how to get drunk in the Spirit. But they never told me that there was another room in the house. And that other room in the house is the most holy place. They never told me about that. And so right now, that is in the spirit where God is leading the church. Is in the kingdom operation. Not just church operation, but kingdom operation. He wants to get you to that place of intimacy. In the spirit first. Okay. And then in the ultimate sense later on. All right. Are y'all here with me up to this point? So post-tribulationally then in an ultimate sense, the church has been glorified already. It will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. And that's when this consummation takes place in an ultimate sense. Amen. Now. It is in connection with the great trumpet. And then the Bible says after the marriage, which is after the destruction of Babylon, but right before the battle of Armageddon. With me? Revelation 17, 18, the destruction of Babylon. Revelation 19, the joining of the church with Jesus. And then following that, the day of the Lord, the battle of Armageddon is fought. Do you understand these things? In an ultimate sense. Okay, let me read it to you. <clears throat> the Bible says, verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. In Revelation 3, we know it's an invitation to the throne. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Who's reigning? The Lord God omnipotent. They recognize Jesus. They've got a revelation of Jesus that he's God. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. Now watch. And he saith unto me, right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true saints of God. All right, go back with me please. To the days when God entered into a marriage covenant with Israel. In the book of Exodus in chapter 19. Amen. <clears throat> Exodus 19. You will remember that by this time that Israel has come out of Egypt. How did they get out of Egypt? By the blood of a... Passover lamb. The Jews call that courtship. He took them out of Egypt. He took them to his banqueting house. He took them to his mountain. Are you with me? They walked out of Egypt. Three days later, they walked up to the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea. From there, 50 days later, they get to a mountain. 50 means pinty. 50 days later, having crossed the Red Sea, 50 days before that, they come to Mount Sinai on Pentecost. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So they go from the Passover lamb in Egypt all the way to Pentecost to Mount Sinai 
50 days after they've crossed the Red Sea. You with me here? So when we read this chapter 19, we are on Pentecostal territory. Chapter 19, verse 1, the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, we have gone through the whole book of Exodus, and we have taught in detail, and we went to the Scriptures and gave you detailed explanation of the time, the months, and everything that prove what I just said. I don't have time for that. Okay, I've got to get to the ultimate of these things. But this, whenever Moses receives the law from God on Mount Sinai, it is 50 days after they crossed the Red Sea or Pentecost. Are you here? Chapter 19, verse 1. Third month when the children of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and their Israel camped before the mount. This is where God is not going to just court them in a Passover courtship. This is where God intends to marry them. This is when he is going to bring a marriage contract to them called the Ten Commandments. And it happens at Pentecost. Now watch this. This is very important. Now. He says. Watch. And Moses went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain. So Moses goes up unto God. And God calls him out of the mountain. The mountain speaks of the kingdom of God. The mountain speaks of God's throne. You with me? It also speaks of the marriage tent or the marriage canopy or the banqueting house. It's called the hoopah. It's the hoopah. The whole mountain was a hoopah or a wedding chamber. I, I know. Some of you are dull of hearing. You'll never get this stuff. You... you you, you can't, you, anyway, I ain't going to mess with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to people who want it. Uh, some of you are so dull of hearing, you're not hearing nothing I'm saying. But Moses is called up to the mountain of God, a picture of the kingdom of God or the throne of God. It is also a picture of the hoopah, the wedding chamber of God, because it is here that God is going to seek to enter into a marriage covenant with Israel. So he goes up into the mountain, right? And the Bible says he goes up unto who? God. The Bible says, And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I, what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, because when you talk about marriage, you're talking about a covenant people, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, 
and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I am come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready. The wife hath made herself ready. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. Say so he will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about. Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the Mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the Mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Are you with me here? When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mount, the kingdom, the throne. So the sounding of this trumpet, this long blast, this great trumpet, when it sounds, is an invitation it is an invitation and it is a proclamation to come into the throne. To come into the kingdom. It's a proclamation of the kingdom. It's a proclamation of the throne. It's an invitation to come into that place. Now watch. And it's a long sound of a trumpet. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders, lightnings, thick cloud upon the mountain, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So there's the sound of a trumpet. Got it? Now notice, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. To meet with God. To meet with God. The Bible says in Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he is called the Word of God. I read it to you, right? The Aramaic translation is called the Targum. On this verse it says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with the Word of God. So that this is a type of when the people God, of God are summoned by a great trumpet, they enter into the throne of God to meet the word of God. That is Jesus. But the Bible says here, they were called to meet with God. I'm trying to tell you, Jesus is God. He is not the second person of anything. A doctrine of the Trinity is a lie. It is a heresy. Jesus is the Word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. 
So Jesus is the word of God made flesh or he is God come in the flesh. And so when the trumpet sounds long, then that's when Moses brings the people into the presence of the word of God. It is a type of whenever God marries or is, is consummating the marriage with his bride. This is the place where God is seeking to enter into a contract of marriage with his redeemed. And it's connected to the sounding of a trumpet. Now watch this. It's very important. The Bible says that Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God or Aramaic with the word of God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long. Did you get that? Watch you have. Watch. Go back up. Verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders, lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. That's a picture of the sounding of the first trumpet. Now, verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, that is, that is a picture of the sounding of the last trumpet or the great trumpet. Watch this. Even today, Jewish people who understand this scripture will say that here on this mountain was when God sounded the first trumpet. There is a future sounding of a great trumpet that is going to take place in the future. But it is rooted in Pentecost. It's rooted back here at Sinai. You understand? Now watch, the Bible says, and when the voice, verse 19, of the trumpet sounded long, say long, and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the mountain Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to, the, to gaze and many of them perish so now with the sounding of the trumpet we have Moses ascending up into the mountain he is called to the throne of God do you hear do you see the type now watch the Bible says and let the priests also which come near the Lord sanctify themselves lest the Lord break forth upon them Moses said to the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for thou chargest us and set bounds up about the mountain, sanctify it. Now, let me explain to you. I don't have time to read all the verses. But when Moses went up to the mountain, the Bible says, to receive the law, this is when Pentecost took place. When he received the law, the Ten Commandments, that is the contract of marriage. He was up there for 40 days. Okay? Do you understand? When he comes back out of the mountain, he ascends. By the way, he ascends up into the mountain of God seven times. Seven times. Not once or twice. He ascends up into the mountain of God seven times. When he receives the law on Pentecost, 
He walks out of the mountain. And the Bible says that Israel is down there in the valley. And they are worshiping false gods. They're worshiping a golden calf. They're in idolatry. They're exactly where most of the church is today. They're dancing before false gods. They're worshiping golden calves. They've got idols in their lives. And so Moses knew. And, and read Ezekiel 16 and you'll get more clarification as to this covenant that he's entering into him with. He takes the contract of marriage, the, the Ten Commandments, and he throws them down on the ground and he breaks them. Because Israel is not ready to enter into a marriage with God, worshiping a golden calf. Nor is the church ready to meet God for the most part because they worship the golden calf. So they, he breaks the marriage contract. And after a period of days of God's judgment upon them, he takes the golden calf, he grinds it up, puts it in water and makes them drink it. Are you with me? And after a time of judgment, I'm talking about like 3,000 people die because of that idolatry. After that time of judgment and he makes them drink that golden calf, then he goes back up into the mountain again for another 40-day period of time of which God gives him, come on, the commandments. He gets these stones, he hews them out, takes them up, God writes the commandments, the contract again. He walks back down there. Now listen to me very carefully. He goes up in the mountain on the 1st of August to receive the second set of commandments. He is there on the mountain with God 40 days, which brings you to September the 10th. He walks, come on. He walks out. See, she should have been a Pentecostal bride. She should have been married to him. She should have been a June bride. But because she was in idolatry, she could not be a June bride. So Moses broke the contract. And so after a time of judgment, he goes back up on the first part of August. He goes in the mountain. He's there for 40 days. He's there until September the 10th. He comes down out of the mountain. He comes down. Come on. A second time out of the mountain with the marriage contract. And it is not until September the 10th that Israel agrees to the marriage contract. So Israel then becomes a September bride instead of a June bride. Now watch this. She could have become a Pentecostal bride, a June bride, had she entered into the covenant the first time. But because she broke that covenant, then it's not until Moses goes back after a period of days of judgment, he goes back up in the mountain and gets the commandments and walks back down on the 10th of Tishrei or the 10th of September. And then they enter into that covenant. Now the 10th of Tishrei is Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement. Now I know, I know that this, is, this can be a little heavy. But let me just show you. Exodus 34. Now this is all the background to Revelation 19. 
34. Let's start with verse 3. And I'm running out of time. This is going to have to be a two or three parter. Exodus 34. At this point, now Moses is going to ascend to God for the seventh time. At this point. The seventh time. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon thee the tables, the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto the Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mounts. Neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before that mount. He hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. He took in his hands the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You with me? And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Are you with me here? Okay. Verse 9. He said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. He said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou, thou which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out. And he talks about what he's going to do for them. So this is this covenant, this contract of marriage. Now, let's go down a little bit further here. I don't have time for everything here. Amen. Verse 28. He was there with the Lord, verse 28, 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables of the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. Say, he was there 40 days and 40 nights. So he went up the 1st of August, and he stays there until the 10th of Tishrei, or the 10th of September. All right? That's when he receives these commandments. Came to pass, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount then Moses wished not the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. He came back in great glory. So this is a picture of Jesus coming back in great glory and power to save the nation of Israel. All right, you with me up to this point? Hallelujah. Now it's on the 10th of Tishrei that he brings these this law back. Now, this is very important for you. Okay, let me explain what I'm talking about. Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. Okay? You have, at that time, the ability for Israel to enter into the marriage covenant with God. But because they're in idolatry, they don't enter in at that time. 
So they can't be a June bride. So he goes back up in the mountain again, the seventh time. He comes back 40 days later, okay, which is the 10th of Tishrei. Now, and let me explain. You have Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. After Pentecost, what do you have? Feast of Trumpets. Pentecost, then the Feast of Trumpets, and then you have what? Day of Atonement, and then what do you have after that? Tabernacles. Now, Pentecost is where the trumpet is sounded first. This is when Israel should have entered into covenant with God in marriage. They did not. Now, in the month of September, watch, you have what is called the Feast of Trumpets that follows Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah. And also in September, you have another feast called Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Now, the Feast of Trumpets takes place on September 1 and September 2. It's two days, but it's called a, a long day. One day. It's seen as one day. A long day. The Feast of Trumpets. Tishrei 1 and 2. Tishrei the 10th, or September the 10th, is the Day of Atonement. Okay? The Day of Atonement. And then five days after that, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, September the 15th, and then from there, seven days in length. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? So in September, then, you would have the Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. You would have Yom Kippur on the 10th. And then you would have, beginning on the 15th, the Feast of Tabernacles. You understand these things so far? So that when Moses first, when the trumpet first sounds, it's on Pentecost. But they don't enter into the contract with him on Pentecost. So they don't become a June bride. He goes back up. Watch. He goes back in the mountain for 40 days. Beginning with August the 1st. He comes back down on the 10th of September. Which is the day of atonement. And that is when Israel enters into the covenant with God. And so she becomes a September bride. Now I'm just throwing information out there to you. Moses went up on the 1st of August to get the second set of, of the Ten Commandments, the contract of marriage. Okay? And what happens is, August, the way the Jews would celebrate, watch this, leading up to Tishrei 1 and 2, the Feast of Trumpets, there is that 40-day period that Moses was in the mountain receiving the second set of commandments from God. 40 days, beginning with August the 1st. Now listen very carefully. August the 1st, the Jewish people begin to sound trumpet every day. Leading up to September the 1st, which is Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. But the 40 days that precede that, there is a sounding of trumpet. Every day there is a sounding of a trumpet. Except for the last day of August. There is no sounding of a trumpet on the last day of August. 
The first day of September is known as the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And on the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, they begin to sound the trumpets at the beginning of the ceremony. They sound these trumpets. And what they do is they will, they will interject a wailing sound, a weeping sound. And they'll, they'll sound it 30 times altogether. The trumpet. They will sound the trumpet 30 times. And in between two blasts, they will, they will weep with that trumpet. Because, why are they weeping? Because Israel didn't enter into covenant with God at Pentecost. They didn't enter into covenant with God at Pentecost. So they weep over the fact that they entered into covenant at Yom Kippur. And so at the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, we have this 30 sounding, uh, 30 times the trumpet is sounded at the beginning of the service. Are you with me? As you enter into the service called Rosh Hashanah, there is 60 times that the trumpet is sounded. 60 times the trumpet sounds. I'm talking about, I'm talking about in, in a one, I'm talking about a two-day ceremony that's looked at as one day. That's a lot of sounding of the trumpet. That's why they call this the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. Okay, the head of the years. Here's the point. At the end of, at the, end of the Feast of Trumpets celebration, there is what is called Tekiah Gedalah, which means the great trumpet. And when that trumpet at the end of the Feast of Trumpets sounds, it, it sounds a long time. It is called the great trumpet. So what I'm trying to show you is the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, when the church is raptured up, it is at the last trumpet. The last trumpet that sounds on the Feast of Trumpets is called the last trumpet. It is called the great trumpet. And that's when the church is raptured. Is when that sounding of the seventh trumpet ends. You got me up to this point? So that whenever you look at the Bible then, whenever the first trumpet sounded on Pentecost, okay, that's the first trumpet. First Corinthians 15 talks about a last trumpet. What is the last trumpet? It is connect, connected with the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets calls it the last trumpet and the great trumpet, the last trumpet that sounded. And that's a September uh, bride situation. Are you with me up to this point? Do you when you get to the Feast of Trumpets, what you have is a declaration that God is King. It is also understood that God who revealed Himself at Mount Sinai will reveal Himself again in the future. He revealed himself at the sounding of the first trumpet, Mount Sinai. But he will reveal himself again at the sounding of the last trumpet or the great trumpet at the end of the Feast of Trumpets. Do you understand so far? After the Feast of Trumpets then. Watch. Watch. You have then... When that trumpet sounds, either, now this is, this is where it gets heavy. 
Israel didn't become a Pentecostal bride because she was an idolater. She became a September bride. But Ruth, the book of Ruth, shows a Gentile bride being joined to Boaz. A Gentile bride being joined to Boaz. And Jewish tradition says, and this is in this Jewish holidays of Michael Strasfeld, says that the Jewish Gentile bride covered herself with the garment at the feet of Boaz. Guess when? Pentecost. So that the Gentile bride, come on, is seen united with Boaz at Pentecost. Israel, though, Old Testament, come on, she could not become a Pentecostal bride because she was in idolatry. She became a September bride. Lord. Now, I don't know how that's all going to work out in the last days in connection with the sounding of the last trumpet. Let me just bring it together with you like this. Leviticus 23 says that Rosh Hashanah, the sounding of the trumpets, is a memorial of the trumpets. Which means Rosh Hashanah, 40 days. Come on. From the time that Moses walked in the mountain, 40 days later. Watch. Moses at Pentecost, there was a sounding of a trumpet. They don't become a bride until the 10th of September, Yom Kippur. Watch. But the Rosh Hashanah trumpets are a memorial to the Pentecostal trumpet. Leviticus 23 tells you it's a memorial of the sounding of trumpets. It's to remember the first trumpet. It's to remember the heavenly trumpet that sounded on Mount Sinai. So when, when they celebrated Rosh Hashanah, what did it do? It looked back to Pentecost. It looked back to the first trumpet that was sounded. And it looks forward to a future last trumpet that's going to sound. Are you with me up to this point? So that Pentecost and, uh, Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets are connected to the bride. They are connected to the marriage. This is good. Now, after Rosh Hashanah, when that last trumpet sounds in Rosh Hashanah, okay, that brings you to September the 2nd. In between second, September the 2nd and September the 10th, there are seven days. Say with me, seven days. And during those seven days, leading up to the feast called Atonement, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, those seven days are a time of repentance. Now, Yom Kippur was when they offer a sacrifice a goat as a sin offering, and then they take a scapegoat out into the wilderness to remove the sins of the people. You'll remember that, right? The tenth, and it happens on the 10th day of September. And that's when Moses came out of the mountain, was on the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of September. Now watch. But in between September the 2nd, closing of Rosh Hashanah, and September the 10th, the Day of Atonement, you have seven days of repentance. Okay? Now, 
on the seventh day of repentance, the eve before the day of atonement, you have some very interesting things that the Jewish people did. Okay, you with me here? One of them is they take a bird, a chicken, and they swing it in the air. Okay? And when they swing it in the air, they say, are you with me? They swing it in the air and they say, this is my substitute. This is my atonement. This is the day before the day of atonement. Okay? They redeem that chicken with money. All right? At the end of the seventh day, before the, the day of atonement, they redeem it with money, they slaughter it, and they cook it, and they eat it. And they take the entrails of that bird the guts of that bird, and they cast them to the fowl of the air. Did you understand that? So I'm going to show you. When I'm going to get in Revelation 19. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to lay it down for you again. All right? But the Bible talks about the flesh of captain, the flesh of mighty men. This is the feast. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb that's played out in type. Because the Bible talks about the fowls or the birds of the air feed upon the flesh of the captains and mighty men, etc. And so when, listen, when those Jewish people would, would swing that chicken and say, this is my atonement. This is my substitute. And then they would redeem it with money and cook it and eat it and take the entrails out and cast it to the birds to eat. It is a type of the battle of Armageddon. Are you with me? And at the same time that they're doing this on the day before the Day of Atonement, the same time they do this, there is a time of confessional prayer where they confess to God their sin. That's exactly what Israel is going to do when Jesus comes back to the battle of Armageddon to save them. They are going to confess their sin. Are you with me? And at that, that same, on that same day, not only do they swing the chicken, kill the chicken, eat the chicken, and cast the entrails out to the birds to eat and confess their sin unto God the, the day before Yom Kippur, but you know what else they do? Anybody got a belt? Give me, hurry, got a leather belt? You don't have nothing tied to it? Your pants won't fall down? You know what they do? They take a leather strap on the eve before the Day of Atonement and they hit themselves on the back lightly. I should say, that I say they hit themselves, but come here, brother. Actually, what they do, they have somebody that strikes them. No, I can't get to you like that. I know you want, I know they want, you want them to see your pretty face. But. but there is a striker who hits them with what is called tokens of stripes. Tokens of strikes. And they very lightly hit, hit that person like this on the day before atonement. So y'all just thought you knew everything. And you know what the person who's throwing the, the lashes on the person's back says? For thou hast forgiven. For thou art merciful. And forgiven us our iniquity. And so they are literally acting out a future time, a future fulfillment. 
Here, brother, thank you. A future time when Jesus comes back to the battle of Armageddon, the day of the Lord, and pours out his wrath, when God has a sacrifice. Israel is going to be crying out for a substitute, for an atonement, for somebody to forgive them and to show mercy to them. For somebody to come and deliver them from all these armies that are coming to destroy them. And when God comes back, he's going to feed the, the flesh of the Gentile nations that rose up against Israel. He's going to feed them to the fowls of the air. And he's going to come back and they are going to be confessing their sin. And they're going to recognize, there's my substitute. There's the one who forgives my sin. And that is the day of atonement. You with me here up to this point? And then after that, then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And that is when the kingdom is set up. Jewish people say that's when the household is set up. Does any of this make any sense to you? But we'll preach that one when we get to it in Revelation 20. That's when tabernacles is fulfilled of the kingdom. Age is set up. Now, in going back to the Day of Atonement, it is believed that whenever the brethren took the garments of Joseph and killed a goat, Remember the Day of Atonement, you got two goats. you got a goat that's slain for the sins of the people, and you've got a scapegoat that's taken out into the wilderness. Speaks of the two natures of Jesus. As a man, he was your sacrifice for sin, but as God, he put your sin behind his back. And that goat that's connected on the Day of Atonement is uh, there with Jesus in fulfillment. Goes all the way back to who? Joseph and his coat. Joseph and his coat, when they killed, the brethren killed the goat and put the coat in the blood. So what the Lord has done is, because of his death, he took off his coat and he put it on us. So we are now in a covenant. But that's not all. When he comes back, fulfilling the day of atonement, when God has a sacrifice at the battle of Armageddon, when he slays the captains and mighty men and feeds them to the fowls of the air, when he comes back to forgive the nation of Israel for their sin, come on, to fight. At that time, he is seen wearing garments stained in blood, just like Joseph's coat was stained in blood. And when Jacob... Their daddy got the news that Joseph had, they said, been killed by a wild animal. He got the news on the 10th of September. The same day the Day of Atonement is celebrated when the goats are, one goat is slain and one is taken out in the wilderness. The same day that Moses came down to the mountain of God and brought the covenant with Israel and said, Hey, I want to marry you. And Israel said, Yes, on the Day of Atonement. Are y'all here right now? Give God some praise. And on the Day of Atonement, in connection with these goats, it is, they, used, they would take lots to determine which goat would be slain and which goat would be taken into the wilderness. And they looked at it this way. If the lot fell into the right hand, it was good news. If the lot, come on, fell in the right hand for the killing of the, of the sin offering, 
it fell in the right hand. But if it fell in the left hand, it was looked as a curse. And would you believe that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which would put you at the time that Jesus came and died on the cross, it came in the left hand? The lot came in the left hand? And the Jewish people recognized that, that that was a prophecy that their temple would be destroyed in the future? And it happened when Jesus came. You know why it happened? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the feasts. He is Pentecost. He is trumpets. He is Yom Kippur. He is tabernacles. He is Passover before that. He is unleavened bread before that. He is the feast of first fruits before that. He is the feast and fulfillment. And so when he came and he fulfilled that type and that shadow, okay, at the cross, that's why the lot came up in the left hand. And 40 years from that day, the temple was destroyed, taking away that Old Testament way of sacrifice. But he's going to fulfill, in an ultimate sense, the feast of the Lord. Let, let me go over there. Let me see what I can do here with this. Revelation 19. Let's see if I can close with this. Now, I know that I've given you a lot of information, but you study, study for yourself and it'll come clear to you that the marriage of God with Israel and the timing of those events lay out for you prophetically what God is going to do for His church and in His church. It lays out for you what God is going to do in Revelation 19. Thank you, sister. Bible tells us in verse, verses 1 through 8, we have the marriage, say the marriage, of the church with, with the Lamb. And then after that, we have the marriage feast. Praise God. He saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, if you can receive this, this is, okay, we've already been caught up. Babylon's been destroyed after the tribulation period at the seventh bowl of wrath. The church is caught up, already glorified as the bowls of wrath are poured out because we're not appointed under wrath. So as the bowls are poured out post-tribulationally, we saw this. The church is glorified but not yet caught away. Now, Revelation 19, we see after the destruction of Babylon, we see the church is caught up, caught away, married, joined to the Lord. We know it's at the sounding of a great trumpet, at the last trumpet, which is the Feast of Trumpets, not Yom Kippur, but the Feast of Trumpets. Watch this. But the Feast of Trumpets points you back to the Pentecostal trumpet that was sounded. So we have been caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then the Bible talks about that we are going to join Him in the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is this marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, it is the Feast of Leviathan. Go with me to Psalm 74, please. Can y'all stay with me a little longer? Psalm 74, watch this. <clears throat> Seventy-four, verse fourteen. And thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, 
and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. So there's coming a time when Jesus comes back at the battle of Armageddon with his bride that he defeats or destroys Leviathan. Leviathan is that seven-headed serpent in the sea. It's a type of the world government and it's a type of the Antichrist. And when he comes back with us, then we are going to watch this. Observe a marriage supper or a marriage feast of the Lamb. And what it is, it's a feast upon Leviathan. It's a spiritual feast. It's when the Antichrist and the world government is destroyed by the Lord at His second coming. It's when God has His sacrifice in the battle of Armageddon. And then He's, come on, sets up the feast uh, upon Leviathan. Now listen. It's very important. Who is Leviathan? Revelation 13.1 describes a beast coming up out of the sea. That is a world government. That's a seven-headed dragon. That is Leviathan. The second beast in Revelation 13, there's two beasts, is Behemoth. Say Behemoth. It is the false prophet. So you've got Leviathan and Behemoth in the Word of God. Come on. God's going to make a feast for His people. Watch. Now, in closing... I've got to read this to you. This is in the Jewish festivals by Haim Schwaus. Here's what he says. In connection to the Feast of Pentecost. Because Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, and Yom Kippur all picture the resurrection. Every one of them picture the resurrection. Because they're connected. I know it can get confusing, but anyway. Let me read this to you. And this is in page 90. 91, here's what they say it happens on the Feast of Pentecost when it was observed and practiced. Will y'all bear with me, please? <clears throat> the Feast of Pentecost. Remember I told you Ruth, the Gentile bride, uncovered his feet and, you know, basically, he's saying, I want to be yours, you be, me, you be mine, I want to be in a marriage with you, you know, Boaz. And that happened on Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, Okay. See, that's when Israel should have become his bride, but they weren't ready. So they had to become a Tishrei bride, a September bride on Yom Kippur because they weren't ready. But there was a Gentile group that was ready. And there was a Gentile group that was prepared to enter into marriage with God at Pentecost. I said at Pentecost. See, at Pentecost, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, I entered into a marriage contract with God as a Gentile bride. I was ready. But Israel today is still not ready because they're still in idolatry. But there's coming a time after the rapture of the church that Jesus is going to come back and save the nation of Israel at the battle of Armageddon. And they will become a September bride. But before that, there's a Gentile bride that's ready. Do you understand that? I, and that came by revelation. That, that just came by revelation from the Holy Ghost right there. Even Now listen. Even the school, the instruction is festive. This is on Pentecost. And breathes the spirit of the holiday. The children are taught the book of Ruth. So clear is the imagery thereof that they are carried back to the days of old when Jews reap the harvest of the fields of their own land. Their older children sit around a long table with the teacher and study the book of Ruth. But their thoughts are not on their studies. They are thinking of Bethlehem 
the town where David was born and spent his childhood. They imagine they are standing at harvest time in the fields that surround the town. Gentle breezes blow from the hills of Judah. The fields are filled with the freshly cut sheaves. They hear the whir of the reaping scythe and the song of the workers in the field. And everywhere is the pleasing aroma of the newly fallen gleanings which Ruth is gathering in the field. Their thoughts are carried still farther afield when the teacher recites or rather sings as he interprets the Akdomas, A-K-D-O-M-U-S, and what that is, an 11th century Aramaic poem, poem, and what it's about is, well, let me read it to you. King David, descended from Ruth and Boaz, and from David's seed is believed, will come the Messiah. And the Akdomas is presently, vividly, a picture of the day. This 11th century poem, Aramaic poem, is a picture of the day when the Messiah will have arrived, arrived in the time of eternal bliss on the earth. And that's with Pentecost. That's in connection to the Feast of Pentecost. Did you hear that? When Messiah will have arrived and the time of eternal bliss on the earth. Here we go. Watch this. They see the golden thrones. I read to you Revelation 4. Around the throne are 24 seats. And upon those seats, 24 elders. They see the golden thrones approached by seven stairs. Seated on the thrones are the saints. Gleaming and shining like the stars of heaven. Did you hear that? Above them are spread canopies of light. We know that's that rainbow revelation talks about. And below ripple streams of fragrant balsam. There is no end to the joy and happiness of the saints. They dance in paradise arm in arm with God himself. Don't tell me God don't, add, don't dance. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm in a church that dances. I told you you wouldn't like heaven if you don't like his. They dance in paradise arm in arm with God himself. He entertains them with a mammoth spectacle. God does. Arranged especially for them. The combat between Leviathan and Behemoth. World government. Antichrist and Behemoth. The false prophets. And that false church system. Are you with me? Or the, the mystery Babylon. That, that government that Antichrist is going to be involved with. But anyway. But anyway. God is setting up this combat between Leviathan and Behemoth. Revelation 17. We read about that. Anyway, so enthusiastic does the teacher become at this point that he imagine, his imagination expands and grows and he paints a picture of the two fantastic creatures that is so clear one would think he had seen them himself. The Leviathan, he says, encircles the sea that surrounds the world. He lies cold up with his tail in his mouth. Should he for a moment release his tail, then the doom of the world would come. Just as great and fearful is Behemoth, he eats in one day the pasturage on a thousand hills, and when he is thirsty, all the water that flows from the Jordan into the sea makes just one gulp for him. The teacher tells of the feast. Here we go. The feast. Which God will prepare 
after the coming of the Messiah. And his imagination makes it more vivid and colorful even than his description. In that 11th century Aramaic poem, he pictures the saints seated around a table made of precious stones, eating the flesh of Leviathan and Behemoth. But the feasting does not interest the listening children. Their thoughts recur to the combat between the two monsters. They see the monster of the deep giving mighty blows with his powerful fins, while Behemoth again and again gores his rival with his gigantic horns. And that's in connection with Pentecost, church. That is the Feast of Leviathan. And that happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Are you with me now? So Babylon is destroyed. Go with me. I'm going to take a... Let's go. Psalm 80. Uh, I'm going to try 84. I'm going to see if that's it. Yeah, and then I got to go to Psalm 27 and Psalm 45. Okay, here we go. Hey, let me go with this. Let me try. I pray this is it. Psalm 84. <clears throat> Might be Psalm 87. But... Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Must be 87. Yeah, Psalm 87, verse 4. He says this, I will make mention of Rahab. Rahab here is not Rahab out of Jericho. Rahab here is a name for Leviathan. God says, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon. To them that know me, behold, Philistine Tyre with Ethiopia, this man was born there. Are you with me here? So God talks about Rahab or Leviathan in connection with Babylon. So we have the fall of Babylon. We have the catch away of the church in Revelation 19. And then we have in Battle of Armageddon is the feast upon Leviathan. That is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what it is. Okay? Go with me to Psalm 20. Uh, let me see. 27. I'm almost through. I promise. <laughs> I'm going to be able to finish this. I need to finish this. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light. That's Pentecost. The Lord is my salvation. That's Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, by the way, this is red, Rosh Hashanah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Yom Kippur. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not afraid of Leviathan. I'm not afraid of... The world government, I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. I'm not afraid of Babylon because the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. Come on, He is my Pentecost. He is my atonement. And then in verse 5, For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of the tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. So that's the secret place. That is the Feast of Tabernacles right there in that one verse, one, one psalm. Go to Psalm 45. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm, May 46. Let me make sure. I got to get, get my verses right here. Yeah, no, Psalm 47. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 47, 5. This is read on Rosh Hashanah. 
the Feast of Trumpets, which is a memorial to the Feast of Pentecost. Okay? God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And on Rosh Hashanah, they got that trumpet, that trumpet lifted up. It's lifted up to the heavens. Lifted up to the heavens. And it sounded. And they read that verse right there. God has gone up with a shout. When he comes back for his church, he's going to shout to you to go up. But you know what? When you go up, you're going to be shouting back at him. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm just warming up for when he sounds that trumpet. I'm going to shout. Can you imagine the awesome? You're going to sound like a trumpet when you start flying through the heavens. And you lift your voice with a shout. Can you imagine what the heavens are going to sound like as you're flying through the air? God is going up with a shout. The Lord with a sound of a trumpet. And then according to the liturgy or, uh, in connection with the Feast of Trumpets, not only is this verse read, but six more verses are read which spell out K-E-R-A Satan. Kira Satan, which means tear up Satan. And that's exactly what God's going to do when he comes back and he sounds that last trumpet. He's going to tear up Leviathan. He's going to tear up Satan. So every time that trumpet sounded, it points you back to the finished work because Jesus Christ was the, come on, he was Isaac's ram caught in the thicket and Jewish history says that God took the two horns and the left horn he sounded at Mount Sinai and he called the left horn the first trumpet but awaiting is the sounding of the other horn horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket in the days of Abraham that sounding of the trumpet that right horn is called the last trumpet and so Paul understood that when he wrote first Corinthians he talked about us uh, being you know changed in the moment between us at when the last trumpet he understood that the left horn of the ram of Abraham's left horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket for Abraham that took the place of his son Isaac was sounded at Pentecost Mount Sinai but the horn the last trumpet is the other horn on the ram that will be sounded in the last days give God some praise and when that trumpet sounds Satan is going to be torn up and God he's going to put on a show man he's going to wipe him out He's already used the Antichrist to destroy. Uh, I say Antichrist. He, he uses yeah, the, the kings of the earth to destroy this mystery Babylon. And then in Revelation 18, we saw literal Babylon come down. Hallelujah. You with me here? And in the battle of Armageddon, we see the Antichrist and his armies and the false prophet. False prophet and the Antichrist cast into the lake of fire. We see the flesh of captains and mighty men eaten. In connection with the Day of Atonement. Now, are you with me here at this point? Isn't this beautiful? And that time, Satan's going to be tore up. So every time that trumpet is sounded, every time that trumpet sounded, 
It points back to the sacrifice of the ram caught in the thicket. Because the horn came from the death of a male ram. So it points you back to the cross. It sounded at Pentecost. Come on. God took that horn of that ram of Abraham. He sounded at Pentecost at Mount Sinai. He's going to take the other side of that horn of that ram. He's going to sound it in the future. And when he does, he's announcing the salvation of Israel. And he's also announcing the tearing up of Leviathan. Give God some praise. So everything I, I just shared with you, isn't that just an awesome thing that they observe in their festivals? See, my problem is trying to, trying to teach you probably months and months of information in one day. That's my, my struggle. But anyway, at least you have something to work with. Okay, Revelation 19, let's close. Let's look at it. I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to close. Okay, we've got the marriage of the Lamb, and then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of Leviathan, verse 9. He saith unto me, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. All right, well, what is it? What is this marriage? I fell his feet to worship him. He said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's, about, it's a revelation of Jesus. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So now he's coming back with the church to fight the battle of Armageddon. You with me here? Yes. His eyes were a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had on his name written that, a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That links you to the Day of Atonement. And his name is called the Word of God. That links you to Pentecost. It links you to Rosh Hashanah. It links you to the Day of Atonement. It links you to Tabernacles. Because that is when he called the people up to meet God. And Jesus is God. He's the same God that Moses met. In Exodus 19. He's the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now watch this. It's beautiful. This is linked to the Day of Atonement. We've already been caught up. We're coming back with him in the Day of Atonement. This symbolism is laid out here. And we see, the Bible says, though they that are with him are coming back with him. They're clothed in white raiment. Do you know on the Day of Atonement that in Jerusalem, hallelujah, I'm just going to go. I don't care if, how much time I spend here. That the young maidens in Jerusalem run out of the, in the streets of Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement. And they're looking for young men to marry them. And they're dressed in white. Dressed in white. Run, walking around to the young men and say. And you know what they say? The plain looking women. The plain looking girls have this saying. Don't let your eyes be influenced by beauty. That's what the plain looking girls say. Don't let your eyes be influenced by beauty. That's what they say to the men that are available. Come on. And the beautiful girls will run out in the street dressed in white. And they say, don't 
Let your eyes be influenced by family lineage. So the beautiful girl is the church who's shouting to the lamb. Don't let your eyes be influenced by family lineage. The genealogy of Abraham and Israel in a natural way. That's what the church, the beautiful one, saying. And then the plain one, Israel, the plain bride, Israel, is saying to the lamb, don't let your eyes be influenced by the beauty of the Gentile church. Because we both have a place. I'm telling you. This is amazing stuff. And so we see them coming back in white. And that's exactly what they do on the Day of Atonement. Run the streets in white. And, and they make those statements. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. This is the wrath of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. And it is post-tribulational. It's after the tribulation. The tribulation is not the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the, and cry with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God. There's that marriage supper. There's that marriage feast. There's that feast of Leviathan. And there's that fulfillment of the Day of Atonement celebration when they take the entrails of that chicken and throw it out to the birds of the air to eat. Come on, somebody. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captives, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, and the flesh of men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now, I believe this is going to literally be fulfilled, but there's a spiritual significance to what we're teaching here. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their names gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. Here we go. Leviathan and behemoth that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceedeth out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. All the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so that day right there, Jesus comes back is a fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. Come on. Great trumpet's been sounded. The church has been raptured. Going up to meet him in the air. He's coming back with the church. Fulfill the Day of Atonement now. And all these symbolisms are laid out. And the Jewish people today practice the types. They practice the pictures. They do things the Bible doesn't even tell them to do. Because they have got some insight into the prophetic fulfillment of the feast. It is amazing. Beautiful, isn't it? And so that the day of atonement for the nation of Israel, and really the day of atonement at whole, is really not just a day of sorrow. It's a day of salvation. It's a day of forgiveness. It's when he comes back to the fulfillment of the, of, as the goat, fulfillment of the goat that was slain for sin. He comes back as God, come in the flesh, God who put their sin behind their back. And as they're repenting and confessing their sin, He comes back and He cleanses Israel at that time. And on the Day of Atonement, and I close with this, 
the high priest walks into the, the, the most holy place. He sprinkles the blood seven times out of a bowl of aisle. Seven bowls of wrath have been poured out in connection with the Day of Atonement. After he empties that bowl, that basin of blood, after having sprinkled it on the mercy seat in the most holy place, he stands in there in darkness, total darkness, for three hours. And after three hours, if he hadn't been slain by God, got a rope tied to his leg, he's slain by God to drag him out. If he's not slain by God, after three hours of standing in the most holy place in total darkness, having applied the blood seven times to the throne of God, he comes back out from behind the veil. And when he comes out from behind the veil, he lifts the basin up, huh? And he shouts. I'm talking about in the Old Testament days, he would do this. He shouts, It is finished. So that when Jesus comes back, the Bible of Armageddon, it will be seen, It is finished. I am your great high priest. Give God praise. And he comes back to save the nation of Israel at that time. Lord, I thank you right now for your awesome spirit. Your awesome word. You are great. And you are greatly to be praised. I thank you for the finished work. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Passover. Thank you for unleavened bread. Thank you for first fruits, your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, 50 days later for Pentecost. Thank you, Lord, for the Feast of Trumpets, a prophetic word, a prophetic voice. Thank you, Lord, today for the Day of Atonement, salvation, the sacrifice, the sin offering, and the removal of my sin, the affliction of my woman, that she might be saved. Thank you for Tabernacles, Lord, Revelation 20, that will be set up following this. And everybody said, in Jesus' mighty name. Do you love him today? Are you looking forward to that time? So when you see yourself in tribulation, you'll understand more about the purpose of God. You're going to see it. I believe we're going to see it. I don't believe we're going to be raptured out pre-tribulationally. We're going to be caught up at the end of the tribulation at the last trumpet. After the destruction of Babylon and before the, the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, the day of atonement comes to place for Israel's salvation. What an awesome God He is. He laid it out all the way back into Genesis. The divine romance all the way through up to the book of Revelation. And especially for Israel in connection to what would happen to them? Because they didn't become his bride at Pentecost. They will become his bride at Yom Kippur. Isn't that beautiful? But there was a Gentile Ruth that said yes to the kinsman redeemer. And she said yes to him at Pentecost. And you know it is believed that David was born on Pentecost and that David died on Pentecost. 
It's just awesome. I'll tell you what, I get beside myself. I mean, you can be all pious and all holy and all, you know, religious all you want to. But I'm just beside myself, man. When, when you get into the word of the Lord and you just see the beauty of the divine romance, it, it, it does something to you, man. How, how many, when you go into a marriage, you're all sad, you know? I preach to you a union between the Spirit of God and humanity here today. That should bring awesome joy and victory in your life. That should bring great, 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 great hope to you. And the good news every time this word is preached, this prophetic word is preached, there is a sounding of a trumpet. And there is an ascending, a descending, and an ascending of the Lord every time it's preached. So what I just preached to you in an ultimate sense will be fulfilled has happened to you in the Spirit while you sit here. Because every time that trumpet sounds, that prophetic word sounds, there is a descending and ascending of the Lord. There is an appearing of the Lord. If He don't appear right now, if He don't come right now, not just some future day, if He don't come right now, if He don't descend right now, and ascend right now, and take us into the most holy place with Him right now, then we've wasted our time coming to church. Thank God for the sounding of the prophetic word, the sounding of the trumpet. In the house of God. God bless you. You are dismissed. Come back 530 prayer. And then 6 o'clock we'll have church again. Hallelujah. 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 Love you a lot. Love you a lot. Glad you came. Glad to have our guests from El Paso with us this morning. Hallelujah. We are glad you came to church. And Lord be with you today. Hallelujah. In Jesus name.